But I want you to understand I, I'm preaching predominantly to our church today. And um, although what I'm going to talk about will help every one of us. Um, the, uh, we've been in the series, Red Letters, and uh, so we started out talking about being, being in relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we talked about, um, we talked about, last week I talked about forgiving, and uh, we've been just going through and talking about the things that Jesus taught and preached and led his disciples to do, because if we're going to call ourselves Christian, we really have to represent him, amen? And so... Today, I, I want to talk to us about serving, uh, because Jesus Christ was all about serving. If there was anything that summed him up, it was service. It was service. Uh, in 1943, Abram Maslow laid the groundwork for understanding the motivations of people. He was a psychologist, and Maslow developed... Uh, what we refer to as the hierarchy of needs. And psychology still uses this decades later to teach about humanity and understanding our own motivations. His theory stated that people are motivated to achieve certain needs in life and that some needs take precedence over other needs. I remember learning about this in high school and the very first need uh, that you have in your life, what do you think that it is? What do you think the first need in your life is? Love? That's a good, that's a good guess. Food? It's all good guesses. The first level, and it's kind of broken up like a pyramid, so I think of the, I can't help it, but think of the old food pyramid that the government used to give out. Uh, but the first level of the pyramid was broken down into a category called physical needs. So <clears throat> we need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need warmth, and we need rest. And so that first level of needs that people focus on are physical traits, physical needs. And once those needs are met, then the next level of needs that uh, Maslow said that a person would pursue was what were called safety needs. And that is our security and our safety, protecting ourselves. And then once those needs are met, the next level we have is love, love needs. And this is relationship, this is intimacy, this is friendship. All of these things fall under that need for love. And then he said the next level were esteem needs, self-esteem, prestige, the feeling like you're accomplishing something in your life and you're doing something with your life. And so what Maslow was saying was that if you have a need in your life and your need is a physical need, that physical need is going to trump your need to feel like you're accomplishing anything with your life. Because really at that moment, the only accomplishment you want is to put food on the table and put shelter over your head. And so it was just this tool for understanding psychology. At the very top of the pyramid for Maslow, uh, in other words, when we reach our highest level of fulfillment, 
he came up with what was called self-actualization needs. In other words, it was uh, the top of the very pyramid, once you'd gotten to a place where you provided for your physical needs, you provided for um, your security, you provided for your love, and then you provided for your achievement or accomplishments, uh, your self-esteem, the very top of the pyramid was self-actualization. And it, it was basically being at the peak of who you were. It's your highest potential. And it was the, supposed to be the thing that would bring fulfillment in every person's life. But since Maslow, there have been additional levels added into this pyramid to understand humanity. And what uh, psychologists have called this, they've called these transcendence needs. In other words, uh, once you've achieved your highest potential, self-actualization, the thing that's going to actually bring you fulfillment is not going to be within yourself. It's going to be without. It's going to be whenever you turn and decide that you're going to help others reach their highest potential. And a lot of times we th we think about wealthy people like Bill Gates who uh, gets to a certain level of status. He decides he's going to retire uh, from guiding the company that he had built over many years. And he and his wife go to investing all of their time into serving others and trying to invest in other people's lives to raise them up out of poverty and meet needs. And so we often think of that as this great thing that someone else does, uh, but the reality is that's a need for every one of us in our life. The greatest need, the highest potential that you have, the highest level of fulfillment that you can have in this world and in this lifetime is helping someone else achieve their potential. And we often don't realize this. We think that we're going to find the joy and satisfaction within ourselves, but the truth is nothing fulfills us more than serving. The deception of the world is that if we have more, we'll be happy. If we consume more, we'll be happy. If we gain more, then we're going to have the joy of life that we've been looking for. And how many people have you read about in your lifetime that they supposedly had it all? They had everything going for them, and then they decided one day to take their own life. They were not fulfilled. Sadly, they were depressed. They were oppressed. They were not fulfilled with life. They were unhappy. The joy of life had been sucked from them. Many of us probably come in, into achieving adulthood with this idea in our mind that uh, how great life is going to be if I have my career or if I get that home that I've always wanted or maybe uh, it's whenever I have the family that I've wanted to build around myself or maybe it's some material item. If I could just have. It's interesting. I read a statistic one time where they uh, did research with millionaires, and they asked the millionaires how much more they needed to feel secure, to feel satisfied, to feel happy. And the average of almost every one of the millionaires was just 25% more. 
If I just had 25% more, whenever they gave a number figure, it was always about 25% more. From the lowest one to the highest one. Because really, the need for more is an insatiable thing. You'll never have enough whenever you're trying to fulfill self. There's just no way. So all of us come into adulthood thinking, well, if I can get this or I can get that. And I remember having a conversation one time uh, with one of the families in the church, and, and, and they made the statement, we, we had everything you're supposed to have, and we just weren't satisfied. We weren't fulfilled. And how many of us can relate and, and say, yeah, we, we, maybe we achieved that career or we achieved that home or that family or that material thing that we thought was going to bring us pleasure. And at that point, we'd be satisfied, we'd have joy, we'd be happy, only to find out that even when you had gotten all the things the world tells you you're going to need and have, that joy will be there, you find it's empty and it's shallow and there's nothing there. And it's like the one author in Scripture says, it's vanity. It's vanity. It's just empty. You see, joy does not come from within. It comes from without. The joy that I have, it's, it's not world-given. The joy that you have, it's not world-given. The joy that we can have, it's only God-given. And God takes that joy and He plants it not only in relationship with Him, but He plants it in relationship with others, in serving one another. But we, here's the problem. We live in a culture of consumption that struggles with contribution. Struggles with contribution. Our mindset of being consumers <coughs> has gone so far that it's even infiltrated religion and the church. And I've just got, I've kind of taken off the gloves as a pastor. I just call it what it is. I'll say it's consumer Christianity. It's where we pick and we choose what we want, what we like, and we select things that fit us. And we, if we can just show up and be part of it and feel good walking away on Sunday and go home and the rest of the week just kind of do our thing and fulfill ourselves, go back on another Sunday and be a consumer of Christianity again. That's what it is. And we see this over and over, sadly, Religion has pushed it. The church, and I'm, I'm saying consumer Christianity, I'm not just talking about people coming as consumers. I'm talking about churches becoming uh, and promoting consumerism because what is it that we do as churches? We promote this idea of what's in it for me. Well, let me tell you what's in it for you. Salvation is in it for you. Don't get me wrong. I believe in salvation. I'm thankful for salvation. Praise God for the cross. Be preaching about that in two weeks. Or we say it's to be blessed. If you come, if you're part, if you, you're going to be blessed. And I believe that. I do believe that you'll be blessed. But it, it should not be a what's in it for me. At some point, our maturity in Christianity has to grow beyond what's in it for me. What keeps me coming is not about me, but what keeps me coming is about someone else. It's about what God is wanting to do for another person that He's already done for me. And you see, it, it really took off when prosperity gospel hit because all it was was you, you're going to be prospered. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to... 
problem is prosperity that God brings is not always financial. Sometimes it's just the things you don't know were coming down the path that never hit you. The storms you didn't have to endure. God will prosper you. But see, the real call of God, if you look in Scripture, every time Jesus called someone into his service, it was always a call to serve. Serving others. Matthew 4, 19 he said to them, this is to his first disciples, he called, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. And he's talking to fishermen. So they, I've heard one, one, one person say that they, they all of a sudden they saw this, you know, an opportunity to do something bigger and grander than what they were doing as fishermen that's not reality the reality is they knew what fishermen were and they knew what it was to become a fisher of men now it doesn't mean they didn't ever struggle with the idea because we're going to look at where they struggled with the idea of being a fisher of men but the priority is placed not upon the men who are catching the fish it's placed on the men who are being caught. How many times have you sat in a seafood restaurant? How many of us like seafood? I love some good seafood, especially if they fry it. I mean, you can't go wrong fried anything. Oh, it's been a while since I've had fried. So anyway, how many of us have been sitting in a seafood restaurant? And right now I'm relegated to, to grilled salmon, so we'll, we'll say salmon. Order that salmon. You're eating. Put it, oh, it's so perfect, this, this salmon. You put it in your mouth, you start chewing it up, oh, this is just perfect. Now, how many of you thought in that moment, wow, the fisherman who caught this salmon must have known the best techniques to catch this fish? He must have been awesome because this fish just takes per tastes perfect. You know, nothing could have happened to this fish whenever he brought it in. It's just so perfect. No, that's not what you think. You think, well, the chef is really good. Or you think, man, this fish is really fresh. But you never think about the fisherman. You never think about the guy who brought the fish into the boat and put it into the freezer and had it, you know, securely wrapped and shipped off to whatever your favorite seafood restaurant is. You don't think about that person because that is a thankless job. It's not the job that everyone's talking about. Well, this guy over here, he's a fisherman. If we could all be like that, it's the job no one ever thinks about. It's unseen. It's thankless. And Jesus was calling them to be fishers of men. He said, I'm going to call you into something that's going to be thankless, that people, whenever uh, you're used, they're not going to think about you and how instrumental you were in bringing their life to where their life is going to end up. Jesus was calling them to fulfill a higher purpose than themselves. You see, we, we've been made by God to serve and to live for something bigger than ourselves. 
As long as we only pursue things for self, we'll never be satisfied because you can't satisfy the flesh. The flesh is insatiable. And how many of you have picked up a bag of potato chips, your favorite chip, whatever it is, and you thought, I'm just going to eat one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Pringle this one. I'm just going to eat one. Pringles, you know, they say you, once you pop, you can't stop. I like Pringles. Those tubes, those cans are never big enough. I'm just going to tell you right now, don't bring me one of those small ones. I'm not going to waste my time with it. <laughs> but you eat one, what, what happens? You, you want more, and you want more. My problem in my dieting, I'm trying to lose some weight, it's not what I eat. It's how much of what I eat, because I like to eat it. And if it's, if it's satisfying my flesh, yeah, I keep putting it in my mouth. I keep eating it. We're not called to satisfy self. We're called to serve and to live for something bigger than ourselves. And this has always been God's business. In John chapter 4, we have the story, many of us may be familiar with it, the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus meets there. And he goes out of his way to go to this area, Samaria, to this Samaritan woman. And Jesus intentionally goes to an area that Jews avoid. And he crosses over cultural divides to reach for a woman. And, and we're not just, it's bad enough she was Samaritan, but... but you know, there was a lot of other stuff going on in her life too. And Jesus calls her out on it. He says, you've been married five times. Now, five times marriage, that's a lot even today. In, we lived in Alabama for a couple of years. And if you've been married five times, look, I'm not making a joke. I'm really not. I think you should work trying to find the person that you can be happy with. But in Alabama, they had a limitation of how many marriages. My wife worked with a woman that she was getting married. I can't remember how, which time it was. But she had to come to Georgia to get married because Alabama wouldn't give her a license. They just kind of determined, like, no, it's not going to work out. We're not going to give you the one, which is kind of foolish because they make money off selling those things. So might as well sell them. But this woman had been married five times. So in, in the cultural setting we're talking about, we're talking about a woman who, she's, she's a pariah in the pariahs. She's a person on the outskirts of a people, a culture that is pushed to the outskirts. And Jesus goes out of his way for this woman. And while he is there, he sends the disciples away and sends them to get food. And when they return with the food, they've missed the whole conversation with this woman that has now ran to the city to tell everyone to come see a man who told me about my life. He told me about my marriages. He told me about uh, all the future and the hope. And he, he's given me some. Come see this man. This may be the Messiah. And the disciples had missed it all. And so when they come back to him, they're bringing food because that's what Jesus sent them to go get, was to get some food. Verse 31 in John chapter 4 says this, 
Meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So picture this. They show back up with the food. He's sitting by the well. He's waiting. This woman has left. She's gone to the city. She's telling everyone, come see this man. And they say, you got to eat something. You need to eat this, this food that we brought. Next verse. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. He says, you don't understand. I'm not just getting fed something that's going to be physical, that's going to be temporary. I'm not just going to eat and get energy and sustained from the food that you brought back from the city. Next verse. He says, therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought you something to eat? They didn't understand. They thought, well, somebody must have brought him some food while we were gone. He says, no, I'm not talking about food. Next verse. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He was saying, I've got a higher purpose. When you think about food in the conversation, food is the thing that gives you energy. It's the thing that gives you strength. It's the thing that gives you comfort. There's a reason we call it comfort food. And he says, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a higher purpose. Jesus was saying, when I do the will of God, whenever I choose to serve, when I serve the people that are coming here to see the work that God is doing, that is what's going to sustain me. That's what gives me energy. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me joyful. That's what keeps me sustained. It's not the energy from physical food. It's the thing that I'm doing that's a higher purpose and a higher calling that God has sent me here to do. And I want to tell every one of you, God has a higher purpose in your life than just what is happening right now. He always does. There's no end in God. There's a next thing. There's a higher thing. There's a deeper thing. Something that God has just for your life. You see, there's greater fulfillment in contribution than there is in consumption. There's greater fulfillment in contribution than there is in consumption. And this has always been God's plan. <coughs> Excuse me. This has always been God's plan. Serving has always been part of God's plan. And I'm going to show you from Scripture. There was an article sometime back in an interview with, uh, with Will Smith. Does anybody know who Will Smith is? He's an actor. And uh, he's been in a few well-known movies in the interview, he stated, he was talking about his history. He had moved from Philadelphia to L.A. at the young age of 21. And he went there, and he had this goal. He's going to become one of the biggest movie stars in Hollywood. He was going to be one of the biggest movie stars in Hollywood. Now, a lot of people go to Hollywood with that goal. And they never see it happen. So he's one of those rare exceptions of people that actually went and had the experience making it happen. A friend of mine pastors in L.A. And he's told me that it's, it's amazing. Every person in L.A. is an actor. Every person. And they'll, 
they'll drop whatever they're doing in the moment if they get a chance to be an actor in that movie. And so Will Smith went out there with this goal, but the thing about Will Smith, he says in the article, he didn't just have a goal, he had a plan. And his plan was this, he had done some research on the top 10 grossing films of all time. And he stated in this article that he noticed there was a pattern in every one of these movies. Uh, nine out of 10 of these movies had special effects and they had creatures in the movie. So the plot kind of revolved around the creatures and then they would uh, make it more realistic with as much special effects as they could. And then eight out of those nine movies, they had special effects, they had creatures, and then they also had a love story that ran through the story. And so Will Smith determined that his plan would be to only do movies with those common themes. And his top movies, if you look at his top grossing movies, every one of them include almost all three of those things. They have special effects, they have creatures, and they have a love story. Independence Day earned $817 million, which is just crazy. Suicide Squad, $746 million. Hancock, $624 million. Men in Black, three and Men in Black, $624 million and $589 million. I Am Legend, $585 million. See, the thing that separated Will Smith from so many other actors that probably had the same talent as he had as 21-year-old coming from Philadelphia was he had sat down and he had a plan, and he followed the plan. Will Smith had a plan based on what works. And if you and I have a plan, and we base it on God's plan, and God sticks with the plan, and we stick with the plan, and it's what works because it is what works, it has always been his plan that his people would be a representation of him in this world. Now, modern Christianity has gotten far away from that. We like to hide. We like to be hidden. We don't like to be out in the forefront. But if you look at Scripture, Exodus 19, 4 through 6, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. He's talking to the Israelites. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, I, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom, pay attention to this, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. You know what a priest is? He says, you're going to be a priest among all the people, the whole world. You'll be my priest. A priest is a representative of the one who has called them into service. So in the Old Testament, when they would say, this is a priest of Jehovah, everyone knew that represented Jehovah God. If it was a priest of Baal or a prophet of Baal, they knew that that represented the God Baal. And all of these different gods, Moloch and different ones that were represented in the Old Testament, and even probably some that are not listed, a priest was the intermediary. He was the representative to the people for that God. And God told Israel, he said, if you're going to be my people, if you're going to do my covenant, if you're going to fulfill my will, if you'll obey my voice, I'm going to make you a kingdom 
of priests, a holy nation. He called them specifically to represent him for the sake of the rest of the world. He said, I own the full world. I have everything in it, but you're going to be my priest. You're going to represent me to the world. His plan has not changed. 1 Peter 2 and 9 tells us, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's he saying? He's saying he's called you and I to be his priests. He's called you and I. We're meant to be the intermediaries between him and the people that he is trying to reach. An intermediary sacrifices, what do they do? A priest, they sacrifice their time, they sacrifice their energy, they sacrifice some of their own dreams for what they want to accomplish so that the work of God can be accomplished in people's lives. Music is coming. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know what God's plan is for this world? You're the plan. I'm the plan. That's God's plan for this world. That's God's plan for all people is to reach the world. There is no plan B. There's no other plan. You and I are the plan. And listen, you and I may be powerless to save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But we can help in saving someone else. We can point someone else to Jesus. We can tell someone else what they have for, for them. I'm so excited. Next Friday, I'm going to be starting a Bible study. Elena, one of our ladies in the church here, she's serving right now. She's going to be hosting a midday Bible study with some people that have never received the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And they're very interested. They, they, they heard about her testimony. They heard about her experience. They're interested. And so we're, we're doing a Bible study with them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so excited about that because these people might never have the opportunity to experience what God has for them. They may not hear about it in any other church. But Elena is willing to sacrifice some time, some energy, some hours that she'd probably be doing something else in order to host this study that could change someone's life, that they're hungry. They want to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They want to experience what God has for them. And every one of us, we have gifts 
We have spiritual gifts. Bible talks about spiritual gifts. We have personality gifts. We have gifts God has put in us from birth or he's put in us from our new birth that can bless the kingdom of God. Every one of us has something we can contribute to growing the kingdom of God. You might think, well, I I don't know where to start. I don't know what I should do. Today after service, you may notice there beside you there's a, a paper even. If you don't know where to serve or you're not sure, here's, here's your opportunity. We want everyone serving. We want everyone involved. We want everyone using their gifts and their talents. We want everyone to be a part of what God is doing at Branches Church. So today you'll have an opportunity to look at things that you could join and do and be a part of. It's not a lifetime commitment. If you think, I might like to work with kids, and you sign up, and you get in there, and the kids beat you up, and they're mean to you, and they call you names or whatever, you're not, you don't have to stay in there picking on kids' ministries. I'm not cut out for kids' ministries. I'll admit that right now. I'll pastor any adult. I love kids. Don't misunderstand that. I love kids. I just, I've got to be more humbled to do kids' ministry, I guess. Some of my friends, they do the children's evangelism. They'll go and dress up and all that stuff. I can't do it. It's not in me. I'm not that comfortable with myself. Listen, get involved. Join something. Now, if you get into it and you're really awesome at it, we'll never let you go. So that will be a lifetime commitment. We'll never let you go if you're awesome at it. But every area of service, even even if you just get involved just minimally at the church, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to serve the person that will walk through the door that they've never experienced Branches Church, they've never experienced God, they may never have had an experience with the presence of the Lord before, and you're facilitating that, you're helping that happen. And that's reaching someone. If you'll stand with me, this is going to be a little bit different ending of service today. God is doing amazing things. We don't always see it all. We don't always see everything that he's doing. But in this church, this church, we're going to have a big impact. We're going to impact the community, impact people's lives. We're going to impact this city for God. There's going to be missionaries that go out from this church. There are going to be preachers. There are going to be pastors. There are going to be teachers apostles, prophets, they're going to be things that God does through here that will impact the world. And God invites every one of us into a life of purpose and meaning. And I'll tell you, it's so simple. Here's the only thing that it takes. It takes being willing to make a personal sacrifice. 
where you sacrifice something of yourself in order to serve someone else. In order to serve someone else. And God's call is a call to service. And that may be personal. It may be sitting in a table with someone who does not know God. They've never known a direction. And I listen, I love that. I love doing that personally. But some people, are, they're terrified of that. They'd rather work with kids' ministries and be in a, in a scripted kids' service. That terrifies me. I don't want to be in a kids' service. I'd rather be with someone who has a ton of questions about the Bible, and sometimes I don't have the answer. That's where I'd rather be. I know I'm odd. But every one of us have gifts that if we'll give to the kingdom and serve, God can do something amazing and beautiful out of it. Let's give the Lord an opportunity to speak to our hearts right now. God, you see every person here, you see talents and gifts that are sitting in these chairs. God, you see talents and gifts that have been hidden away even from the world. People don't know we're there. God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch somebody's heart, that you would speak that call, that drawing of the Spirit, Lord. It says, I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you to use your talent, your gifting. God, I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Let that Spirit minister right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you let the Lord speak to you for just a moment?